it's Thursday night, and this is Farage at Large, live from Portsmouth. Please welcome your host, Nigel Farage. Before we even got started, we've got a lively audience here in Portsmouth tonight. We'll be talking all things housing, health, crime. We'll be joined by the Police and Crime Commissioner. And at the end of the show tonight, hold onto your hats. It'll be Jim Davidson for Talking Pints. But before all of that, let's get the news. Very full hour for you. Lots of local characters, comedians, police and crime commissioners, Falklands veterans, you name it. But before we do all of that, Boris Johnson gave a big speech up in Blackpool today, part of his political reset. He reassured us he is a Prime Minister that wants to cut taxes, whilst at the same time keeps putting them up. He's a Prime Minister who told us he wants a smaller state. On the very same day, they're going to forbid grown adults from buying cigarettes. But the really big pitch today from Boris was about housing. He's going to help people get onto the housing ladder. Now, you may think we've heard this all before, because, listen to this, we need a national crusade to get houses built that means banks lending, government releasing land, and, yes, planning being reformed. That was David Cameron in 2015. And here we are seven years on, and nothing has changed. And before I get to Boris's proposals, and whether they make sense, there was a five-hour debate in the House of Commons yesterday on levelling up, housing being a very big part of that. At no point in those five hours yesterday, or in the speeches given today by Boris Johnson or interviews by Michael Gove, did they mention one factor. They keep saying more houses have to be built and they have to become more affordable, what nobody, nobody will tell you is that net migration into Britain means we have to build 750 new houses every day just to accommodate new people coming in to the country. So you see why the problem is virtually impossible. But nobody dares to talk about it because these things are not But they're not done, are they, in polite society at Notting Hill dinner parties? But I can assure you, I talk about them on GB News because they're true. Now, is it a good idea that people who are on benefits should be able to get mortgages? The people who are already struggling for money should be able to borrow sums from a bank and, Boris is saying, without putting down big deposits. I want to get people onto the housing ladder. We all, I bet there are many in this room, want their kids to get on the housing ladder. But it has to be affordable. And if we trap hundreds of thousands of young people into a debt trap at a time when interest rates could go higher, this could do a lot more harm than it could do good. I'm old enough to remember something 30 years ago called negative equity. When the value of our houses was less than our mortgages. And if you lost your job and had to sell, you went bust. 
So look, I'm all for building more houses. I'm all for having affordable housing. But for goodness sake, let's not allow people already on benefits to take out mortgages and be subject to rises in interest rates. I don't think it makes sense. Love to know your views at home on that. Now, we are here in Portsmouth, or should I say Pompey, really. I'm in that side. And my first guest is, and this is actually his name. No, I promise you, I've looked at his passport. John Portsmouth Football Club Westwood, welcome to the programme. <laughs> now, John, uh, 60 Portsmouth tattoos all over you, um, and your big thing you're known for, you know, right throughout the country, is you constantly ring this bell at the match. It's called the Pompey Chimes. Don't get people get, get a little bit cheesed off with you sometimes. Oh, yes. I've been told to put that in many a places I shouldn't mention. <laughs> well, no. So, John, what, I mean, what is this fanaticism for Portsmouth football? It's my life. It is my life. And it's the lives of many people in Pommy. I'm, no, I'm just a fan the same as anyone else. No well, doubt about that. You're more than a fan. No, 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 no I'm not. I just show it in a different way. There's as many passionate Pommy fans as me. I just show it in a different way. There's something about this city. It's on an island... And it's got that island mentality. Just like England. It's an island country. That is what... It gives, gives you that mentality. It gives you that difference. Well, you clearly, believe, no, you clearly believe it. But isn't the problem, John, that since 2008, which must have been a great day at Wembley, let's be frank about it, there's been nothing to celebrate, really, has there? Yeah, there is. <laughs> there's always... <laughs> something to celebrate about Pompey. We've got fantastic owners, we've got stability, they've just bought the training facilities. This has been the most exciting time to be a Pompey fan in my life, if I'm honest. We've got stability, we've bought our own training facilities, we've got a competitive budget, we've pledged 11.5 million to spend on the new ground, and we're still competing with the top teams. They may be spending more, but they've got all their infrastructure in place. We've these clubs are owned by owners that have done the same to us. They've leveraged debt against the club. Yeah. We haven't got any of that, boys. We've got stability. So are you telling me that Portsmouth Football Club is on the up? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. One thing that's is he right? Is he right? One thing. That, one thing that's never been broken in Pompey is our spirit. Because we're Pompey. Well, I tell you what, John Anthony Portsmouth Football Club Westwood, I love that point and thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Well, and John's right, you know, if you can't break the spirit of a place, you'll never break the place. So I like that. That was very, very powerful. Now, Portsmouth, so much about this city, its its history, its rich history. In fact, you could argue that when Henry VIII made the decision that this is where the Royal Navy would be based, England's greatness came probably from Portsmouth more than any other city in the country. But that's not to say that today it does not have its problems, and it does have some quite considerable problems. Difficulties with health, difficulties with crime, and there is no one, no one better to join me than Donna Jones, former leader of Portsmouth City Council and now the Police and Crime Commissioner, Welcome to the program. <laughs> now, Donna, 
We're always hearing about levelling up. Levelling up means the North needs loads of money and loads of help because everybody in the South is rich and everybody in the South has got loads of facilities and there are no problems in the South whatsoever. Well, you'd believe that, wouldn't you, if you listened to the levelling up agenda. Looking at these numbers on GPs, in Portsmouth there are 39 practising GPs for every 100,000 people. That's half what they have in Liverpool. You have one of the worst GP ratios in the whole of the country. And, and I know already, from being here today, people saying they simply can't get GP appointments. What the hell's going on? Well, it's sadly not just GPs, it's dentists as well. We've got some of the worst dental records, and we have done for two decades in Portsmouth. And I think you've hit the nail on the head. We are a very working-class city. We're in, a, we're in the most affluent part of the country, in the southeast. Uh, but we are almost, and it's a bit of a thing for local Portsmouth people, we are the northern city on the south coast. And our health demographics, uh, our outcomes, would absolutely correlate with places like Liverpool. And yet, but we don't double, get the, they've got double yeah. the number of GPs you've got. And actually, dentistry, I think, is in crisis. It really is. All over the country. Yeah, it never, ever gets talked about, does it? Well, y- yes and no. Um, one of our MPs, the best one of the two in Portsmouth, uh, Penny Morden. Oh, sorry, I had to say that. Well, uh, <laughs> um, maybe um, but, but a little she, bit of um, she has, partisan. She's been working very... expressed there, I think. She's been, well, it's partisan, I will say that. Yeah, and also because Stephen Morgan beat me in the general election. But ah, aside from that... Um, oh, but, um, but, but uh, a no, I wish him all the luck. He's a good guy. But actually, although he's a socialist, um, but... Um, um, no, in all honesty, Penny Morden has been working really, really cl- um, closely with Maria Corfield, one of the health ministers, and with Sajid Javid, and she has managed to secure money so that the Portsmouth CCG, which has been in first gear for two decades, uh, and the council, who haven't really got with the programme on lobbying into government, she managed to secure a contract so we are now going to have more uh, dentists in Portsmouth. The GP situation, not quite so positive. We do need to carry on lobbying, and there is a lot more that needs to be done. Now, since your days running Portsmouth City Council, the first woman to do so, you've got on to become a police and crime commissioner, these rather mysterious figures. I'm not sure that people know quite what they do or what they don't do. Um, But one thing they are here is to be held accountable uh, for what's going on. And again, when we talk about crime, particularly violent crime, Mm. you'd think, looking at mainstream media, it's all in London that all the problems are in London and it's all about the Metropolitan Police. They're in the news every blooming day. And yet, we look at Portsmouth, we look at Hampshire and the Isle of Wight, of course, which is part, all of it, part of your patch. Uh, And we see that in Portsmouth in particular, you know, the, the, the crime statistics really aren't very good. And you've got, and it isn't so much burglary, but it's violence. It's street violence, it's sexual offences. I mean, it's pretty serious stuff. What is going on here with local policing? What is going on on the ground? Is it, is it drugs, gangs? What is it? What's at the heart of the problem? Well, I represent two million people, and the, the two cities in, Ports, uh, in, in Hampshire, Portsmouth and Southampton, have just under half a million people between them, but yet 60% of the crime in Hampshire and the Isle of Wight, in Hampshire Constabulary, comes from the two cities. Now, two really big drivers in this. One is drug-related harm. Young people, 10 years ago, how many teenagers were carrying knives? None. Now they carry knives to fund drug addictions, to protect themselves, to, when they're selling drugs, to fund their own addictions. So knife crime knife is a crime, problem. It, 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 
we have show it, it's a problem. Yeah. We have a violent reduction unit. We're one of the 12 police forces across the country that has a violent reduction unit which comes under my direct control and I get a sp- specific grant from the Home Office for that. Secondly um, is domestic abuse. Domestic violence is a massive issue. It's the single largest crime much, that the police respond to. How much has lockdown worsened that? It really did, hugely. Shoplifting, acquisitive crimes, burglaries, they all dropped. ASB dropped a bit in 2020, spiked in 21 when people were allowed to go out more. Uh, but domestic abuse was terrible, as was child neglect and child abuse. So there, is a, there are some really big issues here. But it's not just about those things. It's also about serious organised crime. I think a lot of the members of the public are unaware of the number of crime gangs. We've got 48 serious uh, you know, organised crime gangs working across this county at the moment. Wow. And yet, the struggle to... And one of Boris's big promises, your leader was to, you know, load more police officers going to be recruited. But it seems again that somehow it's London where the emphasis is, because I can't believe it, that the Met are offering your officers a £5,000 bounty to leave the constabulary here and join the Met. And remembering that we are before the watershed and keep it clean, how do you feel about that? I am very, very, very... I'm happy about it. Um, yeah, it's so Stephen House, the, the temporary uh, assistant uh, commissioner of the Met, uh, who's replaced Cressida Dick, uh, has gone back on a gentleman's agreement from three weeks ago when he met with chief constables uh, and he actually met with a couple of my police commissioner colleagues as well. They said that they weren't going to do this. And the reason this but is a problem... they Well, they have said they're going to do it, but we are going to be challenging this. So this is all about the police uplift. It's about the 20,000 additional police officers nationally. Here in Hampshire, that means that we have to recruit... 498 additional new officers by the 31st of March next year. Now, when I became commissioner last year, I said, that's not good enough. We need 1,000. So I'm going to set you a target of 600 by March next year, and then we'll work on the other 400 over the next couple of years. We're actually going to be okay here. But my colleagues, the other seven forces that surround London, it's going to cause a significant problem. And yeah, it could be an issue for the government, particularly for for the Prime Minister. If we don't hit the 20,000, it has to be done. think the audience agree with you. Yeah, there we are. Well, I can just, Donna, thank you. Thank you very much indeed for coming on. I I sense Boris has got another big battle on his hands with Donna. In a moment, in a moment after the break, it's going to be Barrage the Farage, where people from Portsmouth ask me any question they want and do their best to trip me up. I hope I'm ready. Coming up on The Mark Stein Show, reaching a milestone, the vaccine injured and bereaved secure the right to have their campaign calling for a public inquiry into vaccine safety considered by the government. Radio presenter Jules Serkin, who has been left injured, will be asking whether ministers will finally take the issue seriously. Leilani Dowding is back to discuss whether the shutdown of society is the reason behind a wave of crime, mass shootings and riots. Plus, royal historian Hugo Vickers on the Queen's surge in popularity. But is it the same story for Prince Charles? All that and more on The Mark Stein Show tonight from 8 o'clock. So, back here in Portsmouth, your thoughts at home. Does it make sense for people on benefits to get mortgages? I'm really worried about it. Some reactions from home. Billy says, we need a work-based society, not a benefits-based society. 
Jeff says, so a person who works for a living and can't afford to buy a house will provide the benefits for a person who doesn't work so they can buy a house. Totally crazy. Jeff, you raise a very, very good point. Chris says, no mortgage lender is ever going to lend. If they, do the, if they do, the interest rate will be unaffordable, better off helping the self-employed to get mortgages. A lot of self-employed would endorse that. Ryan says, no, they should get jobs, stop relying on the taxpayer. Hard man, Ryan, you are. And Luna says, if you have more than 6K in savings, you can't get housing benefit. Well, look, I tell you what, like so many things, this government promises, and they promised pretty much the same thing back in 2015, I don't believe it will actually ever happen. Now, my, one of my what the Farage moments. Rwanda. I said to you at the time, I said to you at the time, I very much doubted that flight would go. But there is a flight due to go to Rwanda next Tuesday and 140 people have been notified that they will be on that plane. However... The Public and Commercial Services Union, Care for Calais and Detention Action have launched a judicial review. It will be heard in the High Court tomorrow. They are seeking an injunction to get that flight stopped. And I tell you what, we may have left the European Union, but we stayed part of the European Convention on Human Rights. I felt that was a mistake. As a result of that, the Human Rights Act is still in place. And it means they'll all claim Article 8, the right to a family life. You know, my fifth cousin is living somewhere in the country. Um, and I very much doubt this plane will go. It's also concerning to see a civil service revolt. Surely the job of civil servants is to do what the elected government of the day tell them to do within reason. Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, of course... Of course, yeah, all working from home, obviously. <laughs> you know, on full pay and with their pension benefits, and yet they're not doing what the government wants on this, at least some of them aren't. Let's see what happens. Tomorrow's court case is really, really, I think, very, very important. Now, talk about a what the Farage moment. One of the favourite Prime Ministers of all time, Theresa May. <laughs> Try this for size. Theresa May went to Copenhagen recently and gave a speech to the Danish Bar and Law Society, all there in Copenhagen. She was there for five hours and she got paid 109,000 quid. She has earned £2.1 million on the speaking circuit in the three years since she's left Downing Street. Now, I don't know whether many of you have studied Mrs May's speaking style, humour, or general level of entertainment... But a friend of mine in America called Donald Trump said, <laughs> Donald Trump said, I'd pay good money not to hear her speak. <laughs> I think I rather agree with that. Now, earlier on today, I couldn't come to Portsmouth again without going and visiting that great historic dockyard. And here's a little package I put together earlier on today.
So today's Farage at Large is here in the historic city of Portsmouth. I'm now in the Naval Dockyard having a look around. And what a history this is. Everything from the days of Henry VIII, you can come and visit the wreck of the Mary Rose. You can also, when it's open, come of course and see HMS Victory where Nelson fell during the Battle of Trafalgar. Today we're going to board HMS Warrior, the first ironclad, a ship launched in 1860, said to be Queen Victoria's favourite ship. But that history doesn't just go way back in time. Think about this place 80 years ago this week, the Normandy invasion, and of course 40 years ago, the Falklands. Royal Navy taking men to the Falklands from, once again, Portsmouth. Today we have just over there one of our aircraft carriers in. It's still a busy, active naval dockyard. And in many ways, England's greatness came above all from this city of Portsmouth. This is the real business end. So it's really interesting, you know, you've got sort of 60 years since the Battle of Trafalgar and you come onto this ship being launched. Um, but even this becomes obsolete within a few years' time. It's the peak, it's the height of the Industrial Revolution. Things are changing, dreadnoughts replace this. But it is, if you look at it, a pretty amazing uh, piece of kit. Much heavier cannons than they had that half a century earlier at Falga. Uh, but it really is, it really is magnificent. Uh, 700 men, and actually they had some hygiene because they had steam and hot water and even, I'm told, early washing machines. So it's a massive step forward, but as I say, it doesn't stand still for very long. Technology moves on really, really quickly. But if you come to Portsmouth, there's everything from the Mary Rose right up to World War II to come and visit. This is Portsmouth Old and New. We're here on Warrior. She's an enormous vessel. There's the Spinnaker, one of the more modern attractions. And you know what? Actually, for a day out, Pompey takes a bit of beating. There we are. There's my... There's my bit for the advertising, advertising tourism in Pompey. And actually, it is a great place for a day out. Now, it's exactly 40 years ago. Uh, this week that the Falklands War was going on and one man, Alan Sharkey Ward, HMS Algar's chief stoker who served 44 years in the Navy after that conflict sailed back into this very city and he joins me here this evening on GB News. Sharkey, it's good to see you. So this Falklands Walk almost came out of nowhere, didn't it? I mean, people didn't see it coming. Few saw it coming. Suddenly, scrap metal dealers are on South Georgia. It happens within, what, 72 hours? You're sailing. <laughs> yeah. Sheffield gets hit. And you must have realised it was very real, wasn't it? Well, we never thought it was real until actually Sheffield got hit and then we thought, God, this is real. And, you know, things went on for another 74 days. But, uh, yeah... What was it like being on HMS Argyle, coming back into Portsmouth? It wasn't 
on Argyle. I was on HMS Herald. Were you? Well, my notes are wrong, so I apologise for that. Argyle wasn't built. (laughs) Right, Okay. What was it like coming back afterwards? The reception must have been incredible. The reception was absolutely phenomenal. We came past Nab Tower. We were sat there on the ship, on the upper deck, holding our number ones, having been to war, and completed them. Won, as, as people say, we won. And we came in past Nab Tower. You just thought, you just thought, I wonder if anyone's going to be there. You know, is a parent's going to be there? Or, you know, anyone. And then... As you got closer and closer, you could hear you could hear something in the background, giving it a little cheer, and then you look, and then you see people, and you're thinking, "What's going on here?" South Sea coming around, <laughs> Billy Manning's people would know, and then round uh, round Tower, and people were just amazing. They were all sat there, just waving. There was flags, welcome home. They're all cheering. It was just phenomenal. It's the most uh, 45 years I've been coming into Pompey. And I've never had a welcome home like that or since. It was such an amazing thought. It was brilliant. It was oh, just So this city has amazing. a special place in your heart? Oh, without a doubt, yeah. I've been in Portsmouth since 1978. Joined the Navy in 1977. Started off at Gosport, but as a true sailor, I didn't want to live on board. I lived in bedsits and things like that so I could have a bit of freedom. And most of the people in Pompey will know about Nightingale Road and all around there. Uh, <laughs> I won't ask any more questions <laughs> on that. No. no, we just had a fantastic... And I've loved Portsmouth ever since. I've all, I, it's my adopted city. Can, oh, you believe, it. can you believe it's 40 years ago, the Falcons? No, because it feels like only yesterday. Yeah. You're looking in good nick, you're looking well, and okay. yet there are men that came back from that conflict and conflict since, mm-hmm. who some would suggest, I think perhaps our... Uh, guest in a minute, Jim Davidson, might suggest that some of those veterans have perhaps not been looked after in a way that's in line with the service they gave. Yeah, some of them haven't been, but I think a lot of it, the onus relies on the person himself. I mean, yeah, they they do get out the stretch of life in the forces. I think we don't look after them so much. I mean, I'm a Falklands Veterans Foundation trustee as well, so we have in Liberty Lodge down in the Falkland Islands... We have places where they can stay. And yep. Back in 2002, it was formed, and then 2009, it was built. And, you know, uh, we did that, and it was somewhere for the patient, for, well, not for the patients, but for the veterans to go and stay, yep. because what they used to do, they used to go and stay at the veterans' houses, stay at the, the Falkland Islands' houses, and they used to pay for them, they used to feed them and everything, and it was great, but then it becomes a burden. Every time they keep coming back, it was going back to the same piece of mm. personnel. So we, we built Liberty Lodge. And Liberty Lodge is such a fantastic building. For, yeah. I, I've stayed there. I've been there three times. It's been fantastic. Well, thank you for what you're doing with that. Thank you for the service you've given the country. <laughs> and thank you for sharing your really strong memories of that day here in Portsmouth. Thank you. Thank, thank you very much. much. We come to that part of the show. It's the quick-fire round of questions. It's Barrage the Farage. I've got their names, but I've no idea what their questions are. Jenny, you are first up. Good evening. Can you get a bit closer to the microphone, please? Sorry. And, and grow about four inches, and they'll make it easier for you. That's it. 
give Boris regarding the three most important things he must do, not signal, in the next six months to avoid a bit of a wipeout in the next election? Oh, my best advice to Boris Johnson, if they want to avoid a natural wipeout, is to resign. Because if he stays there, I, and I know that... I know there are lots of people out there who are still strong Boris supporters, but face facts, one third of people who voted Conservative in 2019 think he's a liar and a charlatan. And once you've reached that position, once that bond of trust is broken, there is no way it's going to come back. They've got to change energy policy. They've got to change tax policy. They've got to change business policy, particularly towards men and women running small businesses. There's three things I would do, but it needs a new leader, Jenny, to do it. Okay. Seb is next up. Hi, Seb. Hi, Nigel. Uh, I'm breaking cover here. I'm actually a Remainer. Well, that's all right. No. No, no, no. In a free society, we've got to start respecting the fact other people have different points of view. Otherwise, we become part of council culture. And, and, one sec. And, can I add... Actually, it is that freedom of speech, being allowed to say what we think, that people fought, went out of this port in successive wars and fought for. So it is very, very important. Whilst being a Remainer, I can actually really admire you for being so committed for a multi-decade campaign to leave the EU. And it's right to recognise... Thank you. Talent and achievement. Thank you. I know that you disagree with a certain man who's being made a sir this year, Sir Tony Blair. Mm-hmm. Do you have any admiration for Tony Blair and New Labour and for what they achieved at all? Tony Blair was the best political campaigner, together with Mandelson and Campbell. They put together stunning election campaigns. Uh, they were brilliant at PR. They were brilliant at messaging. Um, and he... Blair had a sense of humour. Blair could be self-deprecatory. Blair was a brilliant orator. I I thought many of the things he did have done long-lasting damage to this country. I I, I think a rise of population of 10 million has not added to our quality of life. We can talk about health, housing, all of these things. We have a population crisis. Um, So look, I... But I do have respect for Blair in one sense. He was very good at what he did... It's just a shame that what he did wasn't very good. (laughs) I've got to move on. Uh, Jack. Evening, Nigel. Evening. Um, The following policy proposal will affect me. What do you think about the government raising the smoking age to 21? Oh, and then every year after that, they'll raise it a further year. Look, I'm told smoking's not good for you, um, and I do believe that. Um, The slight, slight sense of sarcasm in that, but... No, look, look... When you're 18, you can go and fight. When you're 18, you're an adult. It is wrong to ban some adults from doing things and and, and not other adults. And I think we're going too far with this. We've got a far bigger problem with Class A drugs and crime in Portsmouth, a far bigger problem with child obesity and a lack of kids out playing sports and doing things than we do with youngsters buying cigarettes. And whether they're legal or illegal, if they want them, they'll buy them anyway. And I'm sick to death of government trying to micromanage every aspect of our lives. Far as I'm concerned, uh, you know, they, they really go to hell. Anne Cameron. Uh, hi, Nigel. 
So Good I want to know, uh, what is your opinion on Cineworld's recent decision to cancel all showings of the film Our Lady <coughs> of Heaven due to the backlash from some elements of the Islamic community? I covered this story. I covered this story on this show a few nights ago, and I wondered afterwards, would anybody else cover it? But they have. And that's one thing I hope we can do here on GB News. We can start to talk about things in a sensible, civilised way. And I had people on with, you know, both sides of the debate represented that evening. And now everyone's talking about it. Look, if we're going to be intimidated by small extremist mobs, uh, then goodness knows where this ends. I think what has happened up in Bolton is absolutely shocking. Very, very shameful. And we're going to have to... If we want to defend... We want to defend those freedoms that I argued so passionately about with our Blairite friend here a moment ago. We want to defend those freedoms. At times you've got to stand up and fight for those freedoms and not be intimidated. What is happening here is awful, but I was delighted in today's Telegraph to see Sarah Khan, and she's the government's you know, advisor on these issues, standing up and speaking strongly. I do think there is now a backlash against this stuff. I think we've had enough, frankly, of being bullied and intimidated. We need to stand firm for our values, because they're the right values. And finally, Jason. Good evening, Nigel, and welcome again to Pompey. Again, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, yeah, my question is, um, who would be the best PM to protect Brexit? <coughs> yeah, look, there is a worry, there is a worry that if they lose the next election, we get a Labour, Lib Dem, SNP coalition, and they don't take us back into the EU, but they take us back into the single market, and that means we start paying money, open borders, etc., etc. And there is a concern about that. Um, look, they tried a Remainer in Theresa May. It was a catastrophe. I don't think Boris will be there at the next election. I think it, it, it just looks inevitable to me that he's going to be gone. And I think you know, people are realising that now. Um, they've got to get somebody with a vision. You need a Prime Minister who doesn't say with Brexit it's damage limitation, that says with Brexit it's a fabulous opportunity to reach out to a great big world. And so whoever comes... And I'm, I'm not going to give you a name... I haven't got a name. There are people out there, maybe Pretty Patel, maybe Nadeem Zahawi, maybe... I, I don't know. But it needs to be somebody. Could be a local MP here. It could well be. I don't know. It could be. But somebody with vision. Right. Thank you, everybody. We will now take a break. And in a moment's time, we're going to be treated to a little conversation over a pint of beer with the one and only Jim Davidson. television was the accolade he got. Let's see how good Jim Davison is. Oh. Thank you very much. Um, when Nigel asked me to come along, he said, you've got to sing for your supper. I said, well, on GB News, have they got a microphone? Have they managed to get them all working? I remember when this, I, I remember when it first started, but that Nigel said, don't worry about it, Jim. Everything's going to be fine. We're not going to make you stand up here and look a... Idiot with a, a, a thing about it. 
I have to say, I didn't know there was a live audience. Actually, there's more people here watching Nigel than there is on television watching Piers Morgan. I have to, I just thought, I just thought I'd point that out. Just thought I'd point that out. And, 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 and I have to tell you that I don't watch the news a great deal because it doesn't really bother me. I mean, the price of petrol, that doesn't bother me. I'm always banned from driving. It doesn't bother me one bit. And I think the cruncher in the leadership challenge will be Boris Johnson looking at how much Theresa May earned doing that speech. And I think he'll be a... Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. Welcome yeah, thanks, Nigel. to Talking Pints. Yeah. It's great to see you. Now, Jim? Yeah. Go easy. What a life you've had. I mean, talk about the ups and downs. <laughs> talk about the ups and downs. But now that you're older and wiser, I just wonder what marriage advice you'd give to younger people. <laughs> in 1971, I was on the way to Woolwich Town Hall with my dad, Jock, in a cab to get married. And I said, Dad, I was 17. I said, what advice would you give me? He said, tell the cab to keep going as quick as it I would say enjoy it. It's not for everybody. I mean, I've had a go. I've been married 44, 50 years now nearly, if you add them all up. <laughs> <laughs> no, and people said, uh, why did you... It must have cost you a fortune getting divorced. Yeah. Hmm. Great money spent, though, I think. It was, I think it was... <laughs> if you want a serious answer, yeah. relationships are difficult to do. And, and relationships in show business, I'm a 23-year-old bloke, money dropping out the air, and ladies coming from everywhere. It, it was just too much to bear. Nigel. <laughs> now, I get it, I get it, I get it. Jim... Talent shows. Mm. You know, talent shows are big news on telly yep. still these days. But for you, it was New Faces, wasn't it, that really did it? New Faces, 1976. March the 9th, 1976. What it was time? a Tuesday. Yeah. 7.30, I won it. And I phoned my mother and I said, Mum, I've won New Faces and you'll never have to work again. And she never did. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, that's good. She, she, yeah. 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 She, um... she was lazy, my mother. I... <laughs> God rest her soul. <laughs> and that was the big break. Suddenly, you've done it, yeah. and you're in demand. Yeah. And comedy was everywhere, wasn't it? Think about the telly. Mm. You know, 70s, 80s. Yeah. I mean, Saturday nights, yeah. comedians, all these shows. You got dubbed the funniest man on telly, which was a hell of an accolade. Yeah. And almost, it seems, looking back at it, I mean, of course, there were limits even then. Yeah, there were. To comedy. Yeah. But you were pretty free, weren't you? Yeah, especially when they gave me my own show at 9.30 at night. It was past the watershed. Then suddenly something changed. I think Ben Elton proved you could be a stand-up comedian without being funny. And, and all these <laughs> sort of people turned up, and it got very, very woke. And, and Benny Hill and I got the sack from Thames Television basically overnight. And I thought, well, that's the end of my career. And suddenly a cassette landed on my desk, and it was a show about snooker. Yeah. And I, they said, would you like to do it? I that said, was your big break. That was my big break. Yeah. yeah. So I said, I'll do it and get my mate on it, John Virgo. So the two of us did break, big yes. break for 12 years. Yeah. 12 yeah. years. Yeah. You don't see it anymore. And Generation Game. I mean, yeah. these, these were really... I mean, this is when sort of... Saturday I, I, stood on for Bruce, I stood in for Bruce Forsyth when he was sick. And so I basically got the job when they negotiated with him. 
And I'm still waiting for the card from Bruce to say good luck, but I... (laughs) It may not happen now. (laughs) Me me, me and him never got on. And of course, sadly, he died. I don't know what he died of. I think it was he had a nasty seizure, I believe. Nasty seizure? No, I don't know. No! No! No, please, please. He was a good guy, Bruce. And he was a a tough act to follow. That's why I had to change it around a lot. He was brilliant. Brilliant. And loved. Oh, very much loved. Right into his 80s and absolutely loved Mm. by people. And then, Jim, the BBC canned you as well, didn't they? Yeah, they did, yeah. They sort of found out that, how dare this Tory scum person, the disgrace to the working-class people come here. You know, so they gave me a million pounds to go away. Ah. Yeah. I had two more wives out of that. (laughs) 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 Some of your... um, <clears throat> Your material has had to change, um, but that would happen anyway. There are social trends that change, and you know, yeah. things that were not acceptable one day are the next, and vice versa. We're talking about Chalky here. Yeah, Let's cut to the chase. Yeah. Well, this Chalky character, well, A, was never called Chalky White, and he was based on a school I went to in Charlton. A lot of the black lads still had West Indian accents, mm-hmm. which I thought was a fabulous accent, and I created that character to be loved, and it was loved until now. Somebody looking back has basically pulled that statue down, and of course I don't do it now because I'd love to take these people on and say, don't be ridiculous. This was my attempt at joining people together. Seriously. But no one speaks with a West Indian accent anymore. So, so that was the end of that character. It's like doing an impression of a handsome cab. No one would know what you're talking about, you no, know? No, no. But Jim, you've had, I mean, look, you, know, you have stood up. You've stood up against cancel culture. Mm. You've stood up very strongly in favour of free speech. Mm. You've got, I think, the sort of Islington set <laughs> Whether they hate you more than they hate me, it's, it's, it's quite a tight call, isn't it? <laughs> well, they, they actually think we were separated at birth. <laughs> <laughs> when, he, when he said he was a Remainer and everyone booed, I thought, well, how awful. I thought we said he was a Romanian. <laughs> No, don't worry, they're not like that. No, we're not. There's not a problem. No, God bless Romanian. No problem. Yew Tree. Yeah. Jim, Yew Tree. I mean, mm. we know there were some seriously bad people around. Savile, people like Harris, some seriously bad people, but a lot mm-hmm. of innocent people getting caught up in Operation Yew Tree and other things. I mean, for you, it was devastating, wasn't it? Well, if you think it's, and now, still to this day, the accusation is enough. The accusation does the damage. Not the fact that you go to court or the police say, sorry, you know, you've proved that there's no case to answer. They don't say that. They say there's no further action. But I, in my case, I, I presented all the evidence that they wanted and they said, no, OK, we're basically sorry. And so and then Cliff Richard and a few people got in touch and said, look, Paul Gambaccini, mm. we want to go and sue the police. Mm. Well, I don't want to sue the police. I thought the police did a fantastic job. You know, and so Henry, my lawyer, said, well, if you want to make some money with, you know, compensation, write a book. So I just got all my notes that I made during it and I wrote a book. And to be honest with you, people say if it doesn't kill you, you know, it's not bad. And I had the support of the people because the people knew that it was bull stuff. The people knew that it it was wrong. And in my case, it wasn't underage uh, sex anyway. The policeman actually said to me when he arrested me at Heathrow, like I was a terrorist, he said, don't worry, Jim, it's not as if it's underage sex. 
Oh, okay. I went, oh, that's OK. Great, yeah, yeah, yeah lovely. Oh, I thought you yeah, yeah, oh, thanks. Yeah, I'll own up to it all. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have girls in your dressing room? Yeah. <laughs> I had one banging on my dressing room door at two o'clock in the morning. I had to let her out in the end. <laughs> Calling. <laughs> I can't resist it, can I? No. I no. I, I see no. that road and it says, no, don't go are, down there. You are like a moth to a mercury vapour lamp, aren't you? You see danger, you have to go for it. Absolutely. Don't drink like that bloke you had on last night, that MP. My God, he did that pint in three mouthfuls. And, yeah, he did. And he had a large Jameson's chaser with it. Did he? Oh, he was organised. Yeah, no, he'd come Where's fully mine? equipped. He'd come fully equipped, you know. He was funny, though, wasn't he? He was very, he very was funny. good. He was funny. Ex-Royal Navy, and you yeah. can tell it in the sense it's of humour. great sense of humour. The, the gallows. Uh, yeah, no, brilliant. Jim, you're YouTubing these days. YouTube channel, how's it going? Well, I don't, we do little adverts on YouTube, but I have a, t- a streaming channel called Ustream, uh, yep. which I own the station, so I can put on stuff. And, and like GB News, I, I think it's we concentrate on what people want to see and let people select what they want to see. There's not a great opinionated channel. It's got me. Really? It's got, it's got, well, I'm opinionated. Then me comment. I say, with you, it must be a fair few opinions. Yeah, but I in. mean, it's all tongue in the cheek with me. I'm there to make them laugh. But we've got Jethro. We've got Freddie Starr. We've got all the people that people want to see. I mean, in about six weeks time, we'll be showing the whole of Cinderella 1, Cinderella 2. You're never going to see those things on normal television. So you have to buy one yourself and run it. I love it. I'm a television executive now, don't you? <laughs> Check it out. You stream. <laughs> And when you look 40 years on from the Falklands, we're here mm-hmm. in Portsmouth. I know you've been to the Falklands many times. You've done yeah. so much for veterans in this country. Are we beginning to get it right with our veterans, Jim, do you think? Mm, that's a very interesting question. I, I think the government can do more. Uh, charities seem to moan a lot, to be honest, because they want to get their buckets filled. You're not going to go out and say, the veterans are all fine now, don't give us any money. Uh, I think that... First, the Falklands veterans now are suffering. They are suffering this, this time, the 40 years on. They'll be looking back at mates. I've just done a, at Ustream, we did a show called Pull Up a Sandbag, where Denzel Connick, who lost a leg, was speaking to all veterans, and they're all suffering. They're all made up. All our crew were all in tears. Have we done enough? There is more to do. There's more to do. But I think, I, think, I think there's more consciousness of yeah. veterans' problems than ever there was before. You've done terrific work in it. Jim... You know, you and I have been friends for some years. I'm delighted to have you on Talking Pints. A lot of people in GB News said I was taking a risk. But hey, 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 I think we're okay. I can't see Ofcom closing us down. I thank you very much indeed. God bless you. To end the show tonight, we've got local singer Dave Barrett. We always like a Boris-type song, so he's doing the human leagues, Don't You Want Me? (laughs) (laughs) You were working as a waitress in a cocktail bar When I met you I picked you out and shook you out Turned you around Turned you into someone new Five years later on, you got the world at your feet. Success has been so easy for you. But don't forget, it's me who put you where you are now. I can put you back down too. Don't, don't you want me? 